RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are so glad that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. Down for Glory is in the books, but we taped this before I left for Nashville. So we'll talk about it next week. I hope hope and pray it was a great show, and I hope and pray you enjoyed it if you ordered it. Uh we got a great guest this week, Mark Jindrak, somebody who I really I don't didn't never really knew their story. You know, I knew him a little bit in um, in uh, WCW. You know, he kind of was in one uh, lane and I was sort of in the other lane. I hung out with the announcers and and, and people like that. And and uh, he hung, you know, he had his little crew that Nash took under his wing. We'll talk more about that. But uh, looking forward to talk to Mark Jindrak and hearing his story and uh, and what he's doing now. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, I heard a lot of people and I've seen a lot of commotion on the Internet, both positive and negative, um, about the uh, Broadway scene. I guess you could speak. You could say that uh, Chris Jericho and MJF uh, did this past week on AEW Dynamite. Um you know, I, I people ask me what I thought. Um, I, I say this about a lot of things. We're, we're in a very unique time where the fans cannot interact with the with the with the wrestlers, and even though AEW does have, you know, five hundred people in a huge outdoor uh, uh, venue at the very top, which is cool. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's not the same. So I don't I don't think there's anything you could do wrong in a pandemic. You know, some people didn't like. Um, didn't like Wrestle House. It wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but we, it was something different to try to, to to put on television in a pandemic. You know, not everybody liked, uh, you know, the uh, WWE Underground stuff with Shane McMahon. But I don't blame him for trying. Um, you know, and, and and same with this. You know, you got to try different stuff and see what sticks. It's a different business. Um you know, whereas a guy like Orange Cassidy, maybe 10 years ago, everybody would have crapped on. Uh, he's over. So that kind of stuff and breaking the third wall, kind of winking at yourself. Um, it's 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 kind of what the business is evolving to. And, and I don't think there's any wrong things to do now. You know, we'll see what the ratings are when they come out as far as on that skit and if the ratings go down or if they go up. Um, it didn't bother me. And I was actually impressed how good of a singer MJF was. Uh, he held in there with Jericho uh, tough. And I've, I actually found out that he was in an acapella group uh, in high school. Who knew? So. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's any wrong moves uh, as wacky or, or as or as wacky or as non-traditional as they are uh, in a pandemic in 2020 on a wrestling show. So it didn't bother me. I uh, thought it was interesting for sure. And um, uh, interesting to see how they followed that up for sure. But that's just my two cents on it. Hey, before we get to our guest this week, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at David Penzer, all one word. If for some strange reason you want a city ringside logo t-shirt, you could go to prowrestlingtees.com backslash David Penzer and pick one of those up. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week, haven't seen him in a long, long time, but we're going to catch up and hear his story. His name is Mark Jindrak. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I recently ran into my guest this week uh, and realized that I had not seen him since the last edition of WCW Monday Night Show. So I figured after 20 plus years, uh, it would be time to catch up. So please welcome one of the members of, God, I haven't said this name in a while, the Natural Born Thrillers in WCW. And he went on to become a huge uh, luchador in Mexico. We'll talk to him about all that. His name is Mark Jindrax. Mark, welcome to City Ringside. Hey, David. Great to connect with you again, man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So how'd you find your way into the power plant? Wow. That's uh, that's actually a pretty interesting story. Um, You know, uh, I was playing college basketball up here in upstate New York as well, near Rochester, New York. And uh, between my sophomore and junior year, a couple of the guys who were graduating were going to go down to Florida to uh, start their careers, basically, in food service. So I decided to go down with them for the summer just to hang out and chill and stuff and then go back to school in the fall. Um, I got a job during the summer at a Denny's restaurant. I was a server, okay, just make some extra money, put some extra money in my pocket, and I worked the uh, graveyard shift. So one night, if you, I don't know if you were – you remember when WCW was filming at uh, Universal Studios in yes, Orlando? Sir. Yeah, yeah. They they would do those. I think it was, they would do those do those tapings there. And um, around that time, when I was you know when I was serving at like eleven o'clock at night, eleven thirty, uh, uh, Alex Wright, who I end up wrestling a lot of times, Alex Wright, uh, Das Wonder Kid, and uh, another guy named Barry Houston. Um, yeah, I booked. Popular, I, but, yeah, I booked him. He was okay. one of my yeah, guys. Well, I booked he, to, to to go up and yeah. uh, and put people over. Yeah, good kid. I don't know what ever happened to him, but he's a good kid. Well, well, I don't know what happened to him either. But uh, you know, you you think he's a better kid after the story. So you know, I got he was very personal. Alex is a little more reserved. He was eating. Looked like he was you know whatever. Um, but the, Barry was very you know was talking. Was like, hey, you know, you look like a big kid, tall kid. What do you you, you, you play sports? And I go, yeah, I'm a, I play basketball. And he was he was like, man, you should be a she tried to be a wrestler. I was like, man, I haven't watched wrestling so long, but I used to watch when I was a kid and stuff, you know, in the, in the eighties. And, uh, you know, they, they ended up leaving. And, um, he'd actually asked me like, you know, if you ever want to get into wrestling, you know, look me up and find me and, uh, I'll tell you how to do it. And I was like, yeah, now I'm a basketball player, you know? So, um, they left now me working graveyard shift at like four in the morning. I was the only one in there. I was, it was me, the cook and like the dishwasher or something. And, Basically, uh, two kids came in, and he was, you got four quarters for a dollar. And I said, sure. I looked down to open the drawer. I look up, and there's a gun pointed at my head. Oh, my and God. Another kid, and another kid's got a, a big pipe, and he's like, you got 10 seconds. Give me all the money. And I was like, man, don't don't shoot. Here it is. You get all the money you want. Gave him all the money. Uh, they left, you know. Automatically being a dumb young kid, I thought it was cool. I was like, wow, oh my God, it just got held up. Holy shit. You know, and then uh, – <laughs> You know, but like the cops came and, you know, did all their report mumbo jumbo. And uh, I went back to my apartment complex, which was just right down the street. Um, and, it, you know, it was like 5.30, 5.45 in the morning. Now, my friends hadn't woke up yet, you know, so I, they, they were getting up shortly. So I said, you know, I'm just going to, instead of telling them what happened, I'm going to go to the, you know, our little community uh, gimmick pool there. You know, like you live in the complex and they have a pool and a hot tub usually, you know, a right. main one. I said, I'm going to go down to the pool and hot tub and just chill for about 45 minutes. And I'll tell about, tell them about it over breakfast, my friends. And, uh, lo and behold, when I go down to the pool, Barry Houston's in the pool with his girlfriend, his girlfriend no happened way. to live in the same complex that I was living in. So I tell him what happens. And he's like, man, you see, you like life is short. 
this everything happens for a reason. He goes, I'm gonna tell you what, just the hell with it, man. I'm gonna pay you. I'm gonna pay three hundred dollars for your tryout in Atlanta, and you're gonna try out, man. Just you don't make it, you don't make it. You make it, then you know, great. And I was like, what? And he's like, he's like, yeah, just do it. Do you want to do it? I was like, sure, I'll do it. And uh, he goes, better yet, tomorrow, uh, you said you watched wrestling growing up in the 80s. Tomorrow, what are you doing? I said, well, besides, I think the police officer is going to, whoever's going to draw that photo of, you know, trying to make a composite photo or whatever, the, the guy who robbed me. Uh, so I had to meet with them like early in the day. We said, after that, come with me and we'll go down to, uh, you're my guest at uh, Universal Studios. So I went backstage and I was like, you know, like like I said, I hadn't watched wrestling since like you know the WrestleMania three, WrestleMania four or five, you know, days. So I'm walking backstage at WCW at the time, and that was like that was like a old school WWF. You know, like I saw Rick Rude, I saw Mr. Perfect. I mean, I was like, oh my god, I saw Virgil. You know, I was like, I saw all these old stars. I saw Rookie Goldberg. You know, he was walking around backstage. I remember Barry Houston introduced me to Booker uh, Harlem Heat, Booker and Stevie Ray. I remember Booker said, don't hurt nobody, Mark, you know, and I go on to wrestle him in WrestleMania 20, you know, his team and on my team were in WrestleMania 20 together, you know, like, so I, I, I just, you know, and basically the funny part was, uh, uh, Barry took me to introduce me to Sarge, who was the head of the power plant for you guys that don't know, you know, um, yeah. he was the head of the power plant. He's, you know, pretty hardcore and he was part of the ring crew. So he'd be on the ring crew and I know he hated that, but it was extra money in his pocket. So Basically, uh, Barry introduced me. He goes, hey, hey, Sarge, this is Mark. You're going to be trying out the power plant, power plant next month. And Sarge looked at me. He goes, do your fucking squat. Just like that. <laughs> I was going to ask him. And I was like, yeah, just like that. He didn't, he didn't even shake my hand. Just do your squat. And I was like, you got it, sir. You got it. And so basically, you know, I had that little rendezvous with all these old stars. And the cherry on the, the, cherry on the uh, cake was – as I was basically leaving, I was going to leave. I wasn't going to stay, you know, basically he introduced me to some people, Sarge. And, uh, then I was going to go and just go back home. Um, and sure enough, as I'm walking out, I see this black Mercedes rolling up and, uh, the window rolls down. Like he's going to say hello to me. Like he knew me. It was macho man. It was, it was macho man. He, he rolled in the window and he looked at me and he goes, Oh, I thought you were Alex Wright. <laughs> and I was, you know, it was crazy. Like, you know, that, now, you know, Alex Wright was there also at the meeting or the, the, the late night dinner with Barry Houston. So it's like, so it's so crazy, man. And, and lo and behold, the, the following month, I, from that point on, when Sarge told me do my squats, I, I went and did my squats. I trained. Um, in the following month, I tried out the power plant and like, I think 26 guys tried out. And by end of day one, there was only three guys left, me and two other guys. And those two guys, I, I think they never, ever came back again. So it was essentially, I mean, they came back, they finished the, the tryout, but uh, basically three people finished out of the 26 that tried out. And, uh, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, the power plant was like, you know, you had to pay $300 to try out. And if you, uh, they wouldn't tell you to leave. You know what I'm saying? They would, tor they would torture you. They, would, they torture you. They'll give you calisthenics, 500 squats, running sprints and everything. And, uh, but, you know, they, they didn't, these guys would come in and they just weren't trained, you know, like, uh, what Sarge said was true, you know, do your squats because there's something about those free squats. I mean, it's like the more you do, the more your legs lock up. And if you don't have any agility endurance or you haven't been doing cardio, you're screwed because after you do those squats, your body's just like in, in default, you know what I'm saying? It's like, like, it's like running on fumes and then, then you got to do push-ups. Then we go outside and we run, 
and people are just throwing up all over the place straight up. And, uh, I, I was, you know, called an unfair advantage. I was ready to do my squats. I was always uh, a great athlete to begin with, you know, with agility and endurance and stuff. So put that all together and, you know, they invited me back and I never went back to play basketball in school. I forego my junior year and, wow. and, and now that's it, you know? So it's kind of a, sorry for the long winded story, but no, no. kind of, you kind of had to tell the, from start to finish to really get the whole irony and the gist of everything, you know? Two things out of that answer. Number one, if you if you had a thousand dollars in hundred dollar bills and gave me a hundred guesses on who, who got you involved in professional wrestling, I could have never in a million years. I could have had a thousand guesses probably, and Barry Houston would not mm-hmm. have been the answer to that question. But uh, I'm not surprised though. He was a great guy, and um, I need to sure. find him. And um, yeah. The other thing is you ain't kidding about the squats, man. We would, I don't know if anybody came from the office came in, you know, it was the power plant at the end was attached to the, our office complex. So, yeah. uh, you know, the word would get around if you're not busy, they got, uh, the tryouts today. And, you know, so if you, if you had a little bit of time for what you were doing, <laughs> you know, you go over there and, and I think I mentioned this before I, I either told this story to somebody or mentioned it on the podcast recently. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, we would go there and you'd see these uh, these Herculean athletes and they'd literally be crawling out with puke dripping down their their shirt um, uh, to their car because they couldn't hack it. And it's funny you mentioned the squats. I was recently at Fit Finley's house um, oh. and uh, and his youngest son is actually uh, after high school is planning on uh, if the world gets back to normal, going to the New Japan Dojo. Uh, wow. So that'd be about a year from now or two. And he's already practicing his squats. He's already doing his squats because New Japan Dojo is the same way. So, um, so yeah, he's already, yeah. he's already, he's already practicing his squats. So yeah, that it's a good thing that um, it's a good thing that Barry brought you in and then Sarge barked at you about squats, because if not, yeah. Barry probably would have lost 300 bucks and, and, and you'd have got blown <laughs> up, tapped out and gone back to basketball. Nah, I wouldn't have. I- I wouldn't quit. I would not let myself quit. I would have, I would have found a way to survive, but, but yeah, those, I mean, you have to train for, it. you really do. I mean, those, those squats and, and, and to, to this day, like yesterday I, I trained legs and I always put in those free squats, you know, because they, they're so, you do a hundred of those things. And like, you know, before I used to do 500, now I'm doing a hundred at age 43, but, uh, uh, man, they still, they're still very effective. My, my legs hurt today. And, uh, you know, it helps you with balance. If you keep, keep strict form, I mean, they're really good. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It all started with a do your squats, you know, and, and I'm still doing them till today. So, <laughs> so how did that work back then? If they liked you and you passed the, the test, did, did they take you in for free? Did they pay you to train there? How did, how did that no, work? Well, that, the way that worked, um, was if you pretty much made it to the end, I mean, th- that showed that you have something, you know, right, like, right. it doesn't matter if you're seven feet tall or four feet tall, like they, they invited you back, you know, because right. that was the thing, like you, you made it. And just for my personal thing, what, what the deal was, is they, they say, you know, you survived, you, you they, they would take you in the office with Mr. Hamilton, um, you know, um, and, and basically yeah. sit down. Yeah. Joey Hamilton. Yep. And, uh, he'd, he'd basically say, you know, you survived and stuff. He was, if you want to come back to the school, um, I think I want to say it was like um, the school, but you break it up over six months. I think it was like, you know, like $300 a month or something or $500 a month. So, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, you had to pay and stuff, you know, if you're, but then it, it kind of turned into like, 
you start paying, but the you that they see anything on you, you know what I'm saying? Like this yeah. guy is in talent, like they they'd get a little, you know, loose on that. But the one thing that really, you know, moving along the story, like the thing that really helped is once I got the power plant, um one day, like two or three months into me being there, uh, one day some people from T V came in. I wanna see I wanna say it's like Terry Taylor came in and a couple other people from T V and they looked at me and they said, You and they looked at Mike Sanders and you, and I think Elix Skipper as well. You and uh maybe a couple others. And they said, uh, you guys interested in coming to uh every Nitro and Thunder and doing like uh T V security and things of that sort? And I was like, Oh my god. I was like, Yes, yes. So we actually got paid for those gigs. So right. we do a Nitro and a Thunder. I think we're, you know, like, like I was still like barely 20 years old, you know? So I got to go to every Nitro and every Thunder. And that was, that was a lot different than that Universal Studio thing I saw. It was, it's real, those Nitro, you know, especially at that time, it was so, so hot, you know what I'm saying? And the, yeah. the fact that I get to put on a security shirt and stand like ringside just for like, you know, or, or sometimes like, I get to be part of a vignette where they shot where, you know, Hulk Hogan laid me out with a, you know, security laid me out with a mop or something and I'm next to the mop up it laid out, you know, like for me, like, you know, for someone who basically quit school, become a wrestler that none, no family understood, like right off the bat, I'm on TV. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe I'm not wrestling, but like, I just got laid out by Hulk Hogan on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I'm, I'm there for some reason. So like, to, to be honest with you, my, my, uh, and then once I got involved there, I got the politic and, you know, and, and network and, and, and like I said, in the wrestling business, you have to have talent, but like, it's, you know, I was six, you know, I'm six, six. And I was at that time I was, like I said, real young and, um, a good, you know, athletic body. Like, you know, a lot of people took kindly to me, you know, so they saw some kind of talent in me. So, um, that mixed in with networking, like the, the rise into the middle, the getting on TV happened pretty quick, you know? So, um, I just remember it was, it was just a wonderful experience. Like I, I just, it, it was, it, I was super green. I didn't understand what was happening, but I, it's like, I didn't have to understand yet. You know, I was just TV security, but yeah. I got to act like one of the boys. You know what I'm saying? And people treated me like one of the young boys. Like sure. I, I remember one time, like, you know, like, Mr. Perfect was like my favorite wrestler, one of my favorite wrestlers. We used to, you know, because I'm, I'm like an athlete's athlete, you know, when he was doing that gimmick where you hit hole ones and, you know, shoot full court shots and make it and that kind of stuff. I thought it was so awesome. You know what I'm saying? I love that gimmick and, you know, turn the clock forward. Like I remember seeing him at the, at the bar, like, you know, after you remember down in like after nitros, the, the hotel bar was always like, no, I never went to like, the hotel bar. Come on. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, like, it was just like, it was, it was just, it, it wasn't like anything. It was just the atmosphere. You know what I'm saying? It was like at that time, you know, nitro was so hot, you know, the, the, the show was so hot and it was, and I got to see it all and be part, you know, just, you know, act, be like one of the boys, you know, I even got residual chicks off the <laughs> like thinking there I was I was one of the boys already. Uh no, I'm joking. Um but like but like, you know, one time Mr. Perfect, I, I sat at the bar and he's like, Come here, come here, man. And I said, Yeah, and he's like he asked me my name, he asked me what I'm doing and stuff, he asked me, you know, just about wrestling. And I actually told him, he asked me like who are some of my favorite wrestlers and I, I mentioned you and I said, I, I actually like Rick Root as well. And, you know, he he explained to me that Rick Root was his longtime friend and stuff and and then he got me a shot of Jack Daniels and he said, now let me give you a shot gargle. of Jack Daniels, but gargle. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> you know, and he gargle. And 
like I gargled and I did it. I did it, you know. Um, but it was, I mean, the coolest thing, you know. Um, I, I, you know, and basically, and then, then, you know, like Rick Rude was my favorite. Like when I went to Mexico, the thing that really kind of got me over in Mexico is I used to do that Rick Rude like hip swivel. You know what I'm saying? Oh wow! Um, yeah, like it's crazy. Uh, like it was like my it's something as simple as I'd throw somebody off the ropes and. Uh, they'd go for the sunset flip and I'd act like that girl's going to go and I wouldn't go and I would just stop and do my lip, like Rick Rude hip swivel and the girls would come unglued, you know what I'm saying? They'd come unglued. So that was, yeah, that's what kind of got me over in, in Mexico. That and like these, these drop kicks and planches I used to do, you know, that was, um, at that time I was you know, getting pretty good high at that stuff. So, but yeah, so that, that whole W70 experience, you know, like, which you obviously are right there for the whole thing, you know, front row. Um, you know, I, 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 it was a wonderful experience. But. So, um, yeah, every, every, uh, every year on the anniversary of Kurt's passing, I'd, I'd do a shot and, uh, gargle it and, uh, in his memory. Um, awesome. but yeah, he was a great guy and I miss him a lot. Um, who put together the natural born thrillers? Was that a Russo thing? Was that a Kevin Nash thing? Was that a, uh, somebody else? Terry Taylor, maybe I'm trying to think of who I, I, liked the I young guys. Say it was a- I want to say it was, it was, it was a Vince Russo thing. Um, and that's, you know, like, you know, over the years, I I don't pay attention to a lot of, you know, what goes on in America after I was doing the Lucha Libre thing forever. Um, but I, I always would see like, you know, Vince Russo, you know, always get catch slack and get beat up on the internet a little bit and, you know, or, or just people in general. And, you know, at least me, I can never say anything bad about the guy because, you know, he essentially, right before WCW closed, I mean, you know, it was going downhill quick. And, you know, it was kind of a Hail Mary, like, oh, yeah, let's throw these guys making the National Born Thrillers. We were already friends, you know, like we all came from the power plant. All, everyone in that group came from the power plant, you know, we're at the same time. So it was almost like a, a real life gimmick, you know, like, uh, you know, I was really cool with Sean O'Hare. Obviously, you know, we hung out all the time. Palumbo was like my best friend at the time. Stasiak was there. Obviously, we hung out with him a lot. Um, Giant the Bull, gosh, I'd go out every weekend with him in Atlanta. Um, just it was, it, they're, you know, our, our friends, you know, like, so going on TV for the first time, mixed in with, like, you know, Vince Russo wanted some kind of new blood type stuff, you know, which is Natural Born Thrillers. That was part of some new blood. Um, mixed in with just like that, like Kevin Nash also helped a lot as well because on, on air, you know, he became a kind of our coach, but off air, he was also our coach as well. Like he was another one. I know. Yeah, I know. Like, I know. I remember. I, I, I sing his praise, you know, like I, I can't, you know, we'd always, we lived in Atlanta at the time. So we'd make these, he'd make those, uh, small short trips to like, you know, Huntsville, Alabama, or we'd be wrestling in somewhere in Georgia. He'd always let, uh, you know, myself or Sanders and somebody else, you know, hop in his, his you know, the old Mercedes he used to have. I don't know if he probably still has it. And uh, <laughs> he, would, he, he would drive, he'd drive and just like kick it with us and chill. Like, like tr- treat us like super chill. You know, he was a mega, mega star, you know, like, um, and he took the time to, to hang with us. Like, you know, like, like, and that's a, that's a component that I liked about him is like, okay, right. There's a wrestling business. It's kind of weird sometimes. And you know, all this respect factor and everything, but like at the end of the day, you, you gotta be one of the, just a dude, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a man code, you know? And like, he was just mad cool. Like it, take away any seniority in wrestling or any kind of like superstardom of his or greenness. And 
rookiness from us. And he just, on a level, just as a guy to guy, he was mad cool, you know, and, and that, that goes so far. And then when you, when you, when you feel that connection on just a regular level, it, you just like, when he tells you things to do in the ring or he tells you things to do in the promo, like you feel so much more comfortable because you're on, you're on air with a mega star, you know, but like he basically, you know, he basically would, lead the the charge and anything we did you know like uh, the vignettes and stuff and it was it was fun and and you know so like vince russo kevin nash like a lot of people like played a a really positive part you know and and i'm thankful for for getting my chance before the company shut down which got me right over to wwe right away so uh, i'm thankful for all that and just you know it's it sucks though you see me i mean like i i love the company and and now i look back at it you know the, the longer away we get from the date when it closed, it, it becomes more and more classic, you know, and nostalgia is nostalgic. Yeah. At least at least with me it is, you know. One of the things that you probably didn't realize at the time, but you probably realize now that Nash is uh, sort of backing to you guys on a personal and a professional level. Uh, it ended any chance of anybody trying to cut you guys off, cut, you know, cut you guys in, off in the knees, you know. Uh, you know, there's a lot of jealousy in wrestling and you guys were on the fast track and anytime somebody's on the fast track, that means somebody else isn't isn't in that spot. So, yeah. whereas the natural reaction, especially back in the WCW days, would have been to try to bury you guy, you're too green. What are you doing, guys? The fact that Nash had your back took took any any thought of anybody doing that and pretty much tossed it out the window because that would be getting yeah. heat with the wrong people. Hey, you sort of mentioned it, but. You guys are living in the penthouse. Did you realize at the time that the house was crumbling around you? Um, yeah, yes, yes, I, yes, kind of, but yes and no. I, I mean, we were just so, so green. So I mean, like, we we had to just just worry about like you know doing the best in our matches possible. Let, let alone worry about all the politics of this is happening and this rating is not where it's supposed to be or. And it seemed like we were, con- but, but, you know, when, when cha- a lot of changes, a lot of, it just felt like everything, every show was like a Hail Mary. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like, because like, it was, <laughs> it was, you know, it, it just felt, that's what it felt like. And when it feels like that, you know, like even, even as green as we were, we, we kind of got the, you know, gist of things, but at the same time, you know, we're young guys, you know, like, like real young guys and, and full of life. And I, I didn't, I knew that, you know, there was a future for us in wrestling, no matter what happened. So uh, WCW is over. You guys get a chance to go to WW. I don't even remember if it was WWE at the time or WWF, um, but to New York, basically. And uh, mm-hmm. they kind of you kind of stumbled. All of you guys kind of stumbled around Heartland Wrestling, OVW. Uh, you know, you guys went from or you, you know, you specifically went from, you know, having a huge push. A lot of you guys did to, you know, kind of fi- trying to find your way. How frustrating was that? Um, yeah, it was frustrating. You know, it's, it's, it, it sucks going, you know, like we never really experienced like, you know, like independent wrestling and stuff, you know, and, and, uh, it was pretty much, we trained the power plant, we got on TV and then all of a sudden we go over to WWE TV and, and, uh, you know, we just weren't ready. I, I would be the first to admit we were, we were really green and we just weren't ready. And we all kind of got, you know, sent, sent down at one point. Another, you know, uh, but the good thing was O'Hare and I went over to 
uh, OVW. Well, first at Heartland, but then we, they switched over to OVW right away. And at that time at OVW, like that probably was probably the most collective talent in the wrestling industry in probably 50 years. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know more yeah, ever. Like yeah. at that time when I went to, when I went to OVW it was Neil Hare. <laughs> Excuse me. So we were joining, um, Brock Lesnar was there. Batista wow. was there. Randy Orton was there. John Cena was there. Charlie Haas was there. Shelton Benjamin was there. Queen Victoria was there. Uh, Jackie Gata was there. Um, like Heidenreich was there. Um, I think Sanders was there for a second. Um, but you know, like that's, that's a, that's a camp. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a, yeah, that's for a sure. That makes up the, the, the wrestling stars over the, the past 20 years, pretty much, you know? Um, I was going to say you could so, build a company around that. Pretty much, pretty much. And, and it was, it was, it was, um, but it was a good place to be because although we we're like kind of going back to old school stuff and, and, uh, under the tutelage of Danny Davis, um, and Jim Cornette over at OBW, uh, we went from, you know, basically TV to like old school and that aspect we were, we were missing, you know, the, the indie wrestling, the, you know, we would do these small shows in front of 30, 40 people and, you know, but like, you know, these are shows like, you know, Brock Lesnar's on, you know what I'm saying? He's wrestling in front of 40 people as well. Like, um, just the way it was. And we, you know, we, the thing that was, was although we were in a spot that felt like going backwards, it was almost like, we know we're taking one step backwards because we can go two, three, four, five steps forward. Because at that time, WWE kind of, you know, uh, it, 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 you know, they split the brands, the Raw and SmackDown, and they kind of, you know, they, they needed a whole like replenishment of talent as well, you know, and, and that's OVW was where they're hand picking guy by guy. Like it was every week, someone else is coming up making, you know, the bat, whether it was the Basham brothers or Rob Conway or, you know, uh, or one of us or Lance Cade, you know, like, uh, he was there as well. Um, um, Orton, you know, all those guys one by one. So we knew we were in a good place. Like that's where they're picking the talent. In fact, you know, like at that point in time, like, um, I saw, you know, when I saw you, um, David, I saw Mordecai as well, you know, Kevin Fertig. Yes. Sir. And, you know, we got, we both flew up to Stanford at the time out of OVW and they basically told him he was going to do the Mordecai gimmick. And they told me that I was going to be uh, in evolution, you know? So, uh, it was, it was you know, I was, I was in the right lane. I was, I knew I'd step back, but like there was hope, you know what I'm saying? Like the here, like you're going to be in a group of Triple H and Randy Orton and uh, Ric Flair, you know, you're like, Oh my God. Like, and you know, so, and obviously, you know, the story I was unfolded that never happened uh, for me. Um, but just, just to be, to know that something was coming around the corner, you know what I'm saying? They had some kind of plan, you know? So that was, that was always good. So I guess they had a WWE Network special that looked into this and Triple H uh, said that uh, the reason that they replaced you with Batista is because you were immature and dragging Randy down. And I hadn't seen it, but it, if Wikipedia is correct, you were on a uh, one of that special and you agreed T talk to me about uh, what was going on at the time. And 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 uh, in hindsight, at the time, what did you think of the decision? And in hindsight, what did you think? Um. Yeah, they, they, they basically, you know, when um, when I went over to OBW, um, I made a friendship with Rand Yorton, you know, and and 
we just we hung out all the time and like eventually when they moved me up to um the big show you know when i was traveling on the crew with wwe um we traveled together me and orton so it, it became one of these almost like the natural born thriller thing like you know they they see this, you know, Orton, who they obviously they have huge, super huge plans for in some way, shape, or form. So they kind of they had him in the group, and then Batista was kind of supposed to be in it, but he kept getting injured. So it was my spot, and then um, basically what happened was it was just that, you know, it was just like we were immature. I was immature, you know. It, it, Orton was immature. We both were immature. We had a lot of fun on the road, and you know, like um, it was just, and a lot of people thought it was humorous. They loved our act. You know what I'm saying? We'd come to TV and just show off and goof off and stuff. And people loved it. It went from Kane to, you know, a lot of the top guys. And, but the one person that hated it, hated it, hated it was triple H. And, uh, you know, like I, it was just completely, you know, if you could be a fly in the wall and some of those car rides, you know, like when they basically made the group and it was, we knew that the group was going to be triple H, Ric Flair, myself and Orton, um, Triple H kind of wanted to get have us driving together the whole loop. You know what I'm saying? House right. show, house show, house show, TV. Get talking, you know, wrestling. You know, get forming as a group and stuff. And you know, get, you know, that's where you kind of got get the you know the um, chemistry in the group is you know hanging out, talking and stuff. And and to my knowledge, I thought we were. You know what I'm saying? Like. Like Orton and I were having fun. Ric Flair was a ton of fun. I thought the, I thought the person I thought the person that should get kicked out of the group was Triple H. He was a bore. <laughs> he was boring as shit, man. He was boring as shit. I mean, if you could be a fly wow. on the wall, David, and listen to some of these, like you know, like Orton and I, I think he was Orton was twenty five. Uh, I was I was twenty five or twenty six. Orton was twenty three or twenty, like young and and just almost ready to on the cuffs of stardom you know what I'm saying like we're making money traveling having fun um and just like and Ric Flair kind of bought into that he 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 loved that kind of youth it seemed to oh, me yeah. like Rick kind of fed off the youth like 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 me right now I, I have a three-year-old baby I'm 43 I also have a 20-year-old but like obviously at 43 I don't have as much energy but like having a baby just keeps me on my toes keeps me fresh keeps me keeps me hip you know what I'm saying like and I kind of felt like Ric Flair was always like that. He loved the, he'd call me Marco and him Randall, Marco Randall. And he'd like, uh, <laughs> what did you guys do last night? You know, like, so Triple H wanted to talk, Triple H wanted to share these car rides and talk about hot tags and shit. And, and okay, you're working the your scenario, you're working the baby. And like, like I get it. And we did talk about wrestling, but then a lot of times the conversations in the car for two or three hours got shifted over to Rick just wanting to find out what, the young, the young guys were doing, you know, saying, living like, vicariously. Like, he was living vicariously yes. through you. <laughs> yes. And we, and we, and we were really meshing, you know, like, and that's the kind of thing, the problem I had, I had with that, a little documentary, the ruthless aggression thing piece they did on the evolution is when Triple H said, you know, I told Vince, uh, he's no, he's not good for the group. And Vince said, yeah, he is. And I said, no, he's not me and Rick. He kept, he Triple H kept saying me and Rick thought he wasn't good for the group. Like it, it wasn't Rick. It was no rich in any way, shape, or form. It was all Triple H. And that's the whole thing. Like, he these car rides, like, I felt these car rides were exposing Triple H for being a bore and non-charismatic, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was, that's what I felt. That's what I felt like. I felt he was being, I mean, 
and, and I'll, I'll give you a little, like, one time, like, uh, Orton and I, like, Kevin Nash, obviously Kevin Nash at the time was back in WWE, and it was funny because everyone called Triple H, Triple H, or Trips, or Hunter, and Kevin was the only person we heard him call Paul, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, on one loop, on one little loop, Orton and I, in our fucking craziness, decided who could, in the car ride, who could call him Paul, subtly, the, the more times, you know what I'm saying, in the car ride. <laughs> well, he didn't, like, he didn't fun. like being called Paul? No, no, but just nobody called him Paul, oh. except for Kevin, Kevin Nash. So you know, it's funny, it's, fu- it's funny, if I saw him uh, today, uh, I would call him Paul, because when he first came into WCW, he rode with me and Pee Wee Anderson uh, uh, for the first six months. And God, I'm sorry for you and Pee Wee. No, Boring. I was going to tell you, he wasn't always that way. He is actually a fun guy. I, you know, I, I, you know, being in the office, I guess you uh, you have to be. But um, but yeah, I'd call him yeah. Paul if I saw him yesterday. So that's funny how, thing, how things are. <laughs> but uh, but just so no, you guys well, tried to like we, yeah. guys tried to see who could call him Paul the most. <laughs> like stuff like that or like we used to do this game like and Kane absolutely loved this game like you know those little like those uh those little things for kids where you would pull the string and it'd be on like F and it'd be F frog ribby ribby yeah. you know you pull the string and it goes around yeah yeah for some reason Orn and I created a game where we'd walk around like catering and shit and like we'd get people to like like we'd pull we'd walk up to Kane and pull a string and say key and he'd go, T, Tiger, rawr! You know, like, these fucking grown men, top guys would play these fucking shenanigans games with us, you know? Like, and Triple H would always walk by and be like, you guys, cut it out, you dipshits. He calls it dipshit. Like, what the fuck? You know, like, always be like, okay, party's over. The boar's here. Boring. Trips is in the you know, it's interesting to get a look into uh, Randy Orton personality a little bit because he he's he's he comes off uh, you know on the internet and and on Twitter and stuff is a little aloof and so it just sounds like that's the way he's always been but uh, and I'm sure it dri- I'm sure to this day it probably drag uh, drives Paul Triple H uh, crazy when he goes on and does yeah. silly things. Yeah, well, yeah, I get I'm, you know obviously. You know, Randy, everyone, we've all grown up, we're more mature now and stuff. But just at that time, it was just like, damn, you know, like, I I, I just, and, and I and I explained it, you know, and, I, and I'm glad I had, you know, I can speak my piece like 17 years later, you know, or 16 years later, sure. whatever it was, that I wasn't ready for, you know, and whoever made the decision, which I know is Triple H now, I mean, he was right in getting him out of the group. Uh, obviously, you know, um, you know, Batista did well with it and, you know, he's made well of it and it didn't happen for me. You know what I'm saying? It, it didn't. And I never look in resentment. The only thing I, I didn't like about that piece also is they make it look like after I was, after I fizzled out eventually in WWE, um, that I became like, you know, like I was like a homeless crackhead or something, you know, like I, I where they never ever talked about like, okay, you know, well, he didn't get over there and the, the whole, make it an evolution, but you know, I didn't die either. You know, I went to Mexico and, and as weird it is weird as a, as a move I made, like it was the best move I made because I, I had a great amount of success there, you know? So, you know, that's the only thing I didn't like. I was glad I got to speak my piece, but you know, WWE has a way of, they always want to be the end all be all, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so, but I've learned in life that if, 
you're talking about ten and making it in this world, it doesn't always have to be five plus five, which was always WWE. Five plus five equals ten. That's the only way you can go. Like I found out about Mexico, seven plus three. I found out a little about Japan, eight plus two. There's other ways to get to ten. What I'm saying. So that's kind of the way I look at things. In Mexico, I bounced around from Mexico, Japan. I was kind of doing in 2000. I got released in 2005, but in 2006, I was kind of doing two or three week tours here and there. And and Mexico was the clear cut choice. Um, I saw Spanish as an easier language than um, uh, Japanese. I saw um, being a two hour and 46 minute flight away from Atlanta, Georgia from Mexico city was a lot easier than a 13 hour flight from Tokyo, you know, um, just down to the food. I didn't like really like seafood or, you know, like the food, the, the cuisine in Japan, the Mexico, Mexican food was a lot more appealing to me, you know, like, um, just everything pointed towards Mexico. And I went there and I went there with a plan. I studied the, I studied the, the past characters that had gotten over as, as, as foreigners, the vampiros, you know, uh, um, I, I, I really, you know, I, I know, um, Eddie Guerrero and, and Chris Jericho were there for a while and stuff. I, I don't know how long they were there for, but, um, you know, I, I looked at the past and, and, and saw, you know, I could do something and, and I did, you know, fortunately I, everything I'd planned came true and, and more like times five, you know, like I, I ended up becoming a TV star, uh, uh, an actor on TV. Like I, I, I got this huge role in 2010, the huge role. I was like the opposite bad guy, uh, of the number one TV show it was a soap opera and on prime time. And, um, that shot me into like, you know, six or seven, eight other series, you know, like, uh, from acting. So like I have essentially, you know, just from those things happening, I became, you know, there were nights, let me put it this way. There were nights that a lot of times our soap operas that I would be like starring would, would go over to Univision. Okay. In the United States, once they finish in Mexico, they right. go to Univision on prime time. And a lot of times I'd, I'd shows that I would star on in America on Univision would do like, say if it, it, it would be Monday through Friday. So and if this episode was on a Monday, a lot of times our ratings were comparable to Ross. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, sure. like, okay, okay. I didn't do evolution. I, you know, I'm not, I was, I was more of an actor than a wrestler at the time too. But like how, how crazy the world is, you know, how you, you know, turn the clock. I had 17 years and I'm now I'm like, I'm uh, at the same time on, I'm doing just as much ratings on a Spanish TV show. That's, super popular amongst the Latinos in America as well. You know, like it's just, you know, that's the only thing I don't like, you know, they kind of portrayed me as like dying after WWE was done, but you know, I had another successful, like, you know, 13, 12, 13 years, you know? So art. Yeah. And you really uh, have, and I was looking into it. I, I knew that you were like a celebrity there. I didn't realize that how not to, not to kiss your ass because you're on my podcast, but you were you were, as they say, you're kind of a big deal in uh, Mexico for about a decade. Um, that must be cool, huh? It was it was really cool. It was it was it was cool on so many levels, and you know, like a lot of my dreams and aspirations, or a lot of guys like I saw doing things in WWE that were in my kind of like my age group there, like the John Cena's and stuff. You know, these people would do would write books or this guy would do this or this project, this guy would get a chance to act. And like, I did all those things. I, you know, in Mexico, I had my own cologne for, for like a season with this wow. cologne company. I had, um, like I said, I, I, I came out in a lot of number one TV shows. Um, 
Um, I wrote a book, a children's book about bullying. It was in Spanish. I, I, I did the whole, you know, process of studying, you know, like it just, I was goal oriented and I didn't have those opportunities in WWE because I didn't, when I didn't make evolution, I, I was in a tag team with Garrison Cade and we had a good run. I was a reflection of perfection for a while, but none of those gimmicks I, I didn't get over. I was in the middle of a pack. You know what I'm saying? Right. I wrestled all the top names. Uh, um, I was a, uh, an ad, I was taken as a, a very good athlete by all, but I just I just didn't get over. Period. And when you don't get over, writing a book, you know, doing music or or trying to get a cologne or you know, getting a commercial, some do some side gigs and acting, that they, they're non-existent. They're very very difficult. But when you're over, how things change, you know. And I got a chance to feel that for for a good like decade, you know, like, and, um, it sucked. Like, you know, when I traveled with, in WWE that, you know, like that was tough too. Like, like in raw, I traveled with Randy Orton and, you know, and for a while, you know, when he got over, it was like, we'd go places and everybody was just like, Randy, Randy, Randy. And then, you know, I'm here, Mark Jindrak, a big Carter, not getting any love, you know what I'm saying? And it's kind of sucked. You know, then I went over to yeah. SmackDown and I'm traveling with Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio two fan favorites who love the fans. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm sitting in the back of their car, traveling with them on SmackDown. Those are my, that was my crew. And, and, and when I went over to SmackDown, they moved me over to SmackDown be, just to basically break me and Orton up because we're, you know, he was about to go off in his, you know, career with evolution. And, and I went over to SmackDown became the reflection of perfection with Teddy Long. So it's just basically what happened. So um, you mentioned earlier that uh, you are in upstate New York. Are you uh, still going to go back and forth to Mexico to do acting and wrestling? Or are you done with, uh, with no, wrestling? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the, I'm done with the wrestling, the um, acting in, in, in Mexico. I'm done with Mexico, period. The only reason I'm going to go to Mexico is just to basically my wife, she's Mexican. Um, she's over here, obviously, on a green card and stuff. And, and uh She'll just go back when, when the borders open or it's safe to travel again. Um, she'll go and, you know, visit her. I'll, we'll go and visit her family and stuff. But that I won't ever do any more Lucha Libre or, or acting. You know, that, that ship there has kind of failed. Gotcha. Uh, how about any other wrestling promotions? Once the world opens up again, are you interested in doing indies or AEW or Impact or anything like that? Or are you done with the business? No, I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of the topic of my life right now. Like, um, just, I, I've gotten in real good shape lately. Um, but it's just like, I don't know, you know, I'm 43 years old right now and, and I've been doing it a long time. You know, like I told you, like when I started at WCW, I was so young. I think when I first signed a contract with them, uh, like April 7th, 1999, I was, I was 22 years old, you know? So, and I'm 43 now, you know, like in 21 years, it was nonstop. There was no like big injuries. Really. There was, um, no stoppages in play. You know what I'm saying? It was pretty much WCW over to WWE and then WWE to Japan, Mexico and then Mexico. And the, you know, it was just, it was nonstop. So, so I just never had a break. So my body right now is, you know, I kind of compared to this. I look in the mirror and I'm, I'm still, you know, have, I'm really lean and stuff. And I, I, I feel like I look like a Ferrari, but inside I feel like a, a junker, like a 1975 junker that barely starts. <laughs> And that's what I'm, I'm battling with right now. I run every day. I, I just, but it's just, it sucks to get old. I, I can't, I just can't get over how it, you know, it's just, I don't jump as high. I don't run as fast. It just, it, it kills me. You know, and I guess a lot of athletes deal with that. 
Yeah. But it's um, called age. It's called age. It sucks. Yeah. Even it for us non-athletes, it sucks. Yeah, and I'm trying to fight it right now. I'm trying to, and and I see some interesting stuff going on in the wrestling world now, um, because again, it's not in America. It used to be just WWE, but like kind of, you know, like an TNA kind of came around and some other, but like now it's a huge, huge different playing field, you know, like there's still a lot going on internationally. Uh, obviously ROH is big, Impact's big, uh, AEW's huge, you know, like it's just, I, I love the stuff people are doing and, and it's um, like AEW. I, I really enjoy, I, I'm, I have, I, I can't lie. I've, I've watched very little wrestling since, I got done wrestling in Mexico. I came basically, so I don't really follow it. But like lately, I've been checking like AEW a little more, looking on stuff on the internet, finding out about these new stars, like they're they're it's coming out of AEW, and like I never knew about a an Orange Cassidy or, or like um, Jericho did some skit last night with another guy named MJF or something. Yeah, um, yeah. singing like like that's it's kind of cool, you know. It's kind of cool to see like how what wrestling's turning into, you know, and like. And like I got, you know, WWE needs to kind of get their act together because you know it, it's it's all about the fans nowadays. You know, nowadays it's it's so, you know, back when I started, the, the internet didn't really play a part. Really, you know, it just it was kind of brand new. I don't even remember if there was dirt sheets back then in nineteen ninety. Oh yeah, there was, there was. I don't know how I but knew was, that, but I knew that. No, <laughs> I used to, I used like, to, I used to read the dirt sheets as a fan in the eighties. Okay, well, I mean, but. I guess the internet kind of blew that up, but like, yeah, yeah, kill that, gim- I'm, kill I'm, that gimmick. But but now what I'm saying is, I feel like the internet or, or the people, the people are what controls everything, pushes, sure. stop pushes, you know, like everything. It, it's it's um, you know, back then, you know, like if this man had a wanted to get a guy over or wanted to do, it, he he'd go through with it. Nowadays, it's like they'll pull a plug on somebody in ten seconds. You know what I'm saying? Oh, they don't like, you know, they're not, people are retweeting this enough, you know, let's cut the, you know, let's cut the cord. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I just see nowadays, I, I just see there's a lot of talent, a lot of new talent. And, and I don't know, like I, I, when I saw you, David, at the, that function where we, we saw each other, I don't know if I should get to say what it was, but, uh, um, you know, there was other guys there, you know, there other wrestlers and see those wrestlers that I remember from the past and, and new wrestlers and stuff. It, it makes me want to, kind of explore maybe getting into it more, you know? So in terms of shape, like I'm, I'm in really good physical shape, but like the whole, the end all tell all is, is when I get into a ring, you know, like it, once I start taking some bumps, you know, that's when things start happening, you know, like, um, you know, for people who don't wrestle or never wrestle, it's, it's, it's not easy taking a bump, you know, like it hurts, it hurts, it shakes your body, it, you know, and, and when you haven't done, I haven't done anything in two years, two and a half years, you know? So, I've got a lot of rust on me, but you know, I think if I can shake the rust off, um, I have something off of the, the United States market, you know, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. You know, right now there's not a lot, it's, it's tough as some stuff's not going on or at least, you know, at a slow pace because of the whole COVID thing. So, you know, it's, it's a good time for me to just kind of plot my strategy, um, just keep training and, you know, at one point in time, if I feel I can come back in a few months, then I'm going to, I'm going to start you know, start calling some people up and see what I can make happen. Uh, if not, worst case scenario, I'm 40, I'm 43 going on 44 and I'm in still in really ridiculous shape and with like 8% body fat. So that, that's always good. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's where I, I stand right now, you know, the fork and roads coming up, but you know, like I'm just enjoying life. I enjoy 
I do enjoy doing stuff like this podcast and, you know, and looking back at old matches and stuff. Like it's, it's crazy how everything kind of comes full circle, you know? So oh, maybe absolutely. I can come back. Maybe I can't, but you know, we'll see. Your story was fascinating. I didn't know so much of it actually. And, um, and I love the stuff with you and Randy and some of the inside of that that uh, dynamic as well around the time of evolution. So I appreciate that. And the stuff in Mexico was great. And um, uh, good luck as being a parent. And uh, uh, and uh, is there are you on Twitter? Is there a place people can follow you? Yeah. Um, uh, on, on Instagram, I think I'm at at Marco Corleone 23. Um, I want to say on um, Facebook, I'm Mark R. Jindrak, and on Twitter, I think I'm at at Jindrak One. Um, but you know, I'm all over the place, so should be should be hard to find me. So, yeah. All right, great catching up. Best of luck to you, man. And um, I'm so glad we did this because I learned a lot, and I think the the, the fans that are going to be listening uh, will probably uh, find it fascinating as well. So, uh, so thanks a lot. I appreciate it, and we'll keep in touch. Texting is a, yeah, is a texting's a cool thing. You don't have to waste too much time. Absolutely, well, I, I appreciate it, David, and it's been it's been great kind of walking down memory lane, man. Great, great, great interview with uh, Mark Jindrak. Um, great stuff. The stuff with, uh, you know, riding in the van with Flair and Randy Orton and and, and Paul Triple H. Uh, stuff that I didn't know. And I don't know if anybody else. I don't know if he's, I'm sure he's told those stories a few times, but um, that's great stuff. And I could, knowing, you know, hearing stories about uh, the way uh, Triple H is now, I could see that absolutely driving him bonkers. Uh, he's a company guy and, you know, they're a publicly traded company and he has a different attitude than, than uh, you know, some of the boys do. And uh, and so I could see that driving him absolutely nuts. But it all worked out well for Randy and it all worked out well for Rick and it all worked out well for Batista. And it seems like it worked out well for Mark Jindrak. And, of course, Triple H is doing just fine. So um, appreciate that. We are going to... Uh, be having Curtis Hughes coming up in the future. I'm not 100% sure about next week, but in the next couple of weeks. Hall of Famer Teddy Long as well, and we're working on some great guests. So um, be sure to spread the word. Uh, If you like what you hear, uh, tell people to uh, subscribe. If you could leave a um, a rating, a review on where you listen to this podcast, be sure to leave a review. Uh, positive if possible and spread the word tell people and uh, we appreciate uh, you guys listening and hope to keep on rocking and rolling with this thing we call a podcast until next week this is David Penzer I'm still sitting ringside follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer you've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. 
All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 